Hello and welcome to another episode of an unexpected podcast. Today, I'm Mick, and I'm joined by Evan from Boston and Matt from Boston. Uh, we're going to be talking about um, a more of a unique subject today about uh, going to tournaments where we know that there isn't very much time for games and how we build lists for that and um, how we manage the time. So we will we'll be touching up on some lists, on some ideas, as well as um, generally uh, management of time during games, how to play faster, how to ensure that we manage to complete our games on time and hopefully win. But first, nice. first we're going to review a list. So going to re review a list. Yeah. All right. So this is a list um, uh, from Leon that was pasted, uh, pasted on our Facebook page. And let me get this up on the screen. All right. So he has a 650-point tournament coming up in January. Uh, this is a beautiful list that I can't see on the screen right now. Yeah, you're not, yeah. You're not showing the screen. I'm not showing the screen. Hang on. <laughs> let me push this button. Yay. How can you see it? Not yet. All right. Wait. Yes. Okay. All right. There we go. So uh, what he's saying now is there's a 650-point tournament coming up in January. Could you give me feedback on the list I'm thinking of bringing? Um, we're going to try yes, and do that yes, we can. just just in time because um, I think this episode, we're going to try and have this episode come out as a present on Christmas Day. So um, Merry Christmas, Leon, assuming you celebrate Christmas. If you don't celebrate Christmas, then sorry. Um, um, but, can, I, uh, can, I, can I just say, consider yeah. this to be your secret Santa. That's right. Yeah. Um, and we're all going to be waiting for our gifts to come in the mail, uh, preferably in the form of large checks. But anyway, we have uh, Lurts with Shield, um, an Urukai Warrior with Banner and Shield, a Crabane, five Urukai Warriors with Shield, six Urukai Warriors with Pike, and then Farasku, who has six Urukai Warriors with Crossbow, three Urukai Warriors with Shield, and... Uh, and five Huskarls and a Crabane. Uh, and then sh uh, Sharku, which I'm sure is Sharku with uh, Warg and Shield and two Warg Riders with Shield. And he says he's expecting some amount of terror. So that's why he put in the Huskarls. Didn't want to invest too heavily in the crossbows just in case he comes up against Assault on Lothlorien. The Assault on Lothlorien Legendary Legion, because I guess you don't want to go into a gun duel with uh, that list. And it should be a three-round tournament with a veto system, with the pool being rolled. And he has 34 models, 12 might, six crossbows, plus Lurch's bow and Verasco's crossbow. Thoughts from the floor? Hmm. Um, well, I guess... To start it off, it feels, I'd say, for 650 and with the heroes he has here, in my mind, it feels a little small. Um, the issue being that his numbers, 34, obviously, by no accounts is bad. But um, with the heroes he has, he doesn't really have a big hitter, which is obviously quite common in Isengard. It's hard to get um, a really strong model in there. The closest he's got is Lurtz, who's all right, but is stuck on foot um, with no plus one to wound or anything like that. Um, Gorolf is good. Rashku is pretty good. Um, the sort of weak link I see here in my mind is Sharku. Um, I honestly don't value him very much as a model. Uh, he's never really done well for me. Um, I mean, he's basically an orc captain with a fun special rule, but he doesn't seem to really contribute much to this list. Um, so if I were to use a list like this, I think what I would do is drop Sharku, um, fill out, Lurts, Verasku, and Gorolf's Warbands uh, with as many guys as I can get a hold of. And then I would personally, because he, clearly he wants the anti-terror, um, so what I would do is I would drop the Huskarls because they're supposed to be spear-supporting anyways, so they're not going to help much. 
Um, I would swap them for pikemen. And then I would take some Urukai Berserkers instead, which are a little more expensive, but you've made points back um, by dropping Sharku. Um, so it would leave you still with nine points of might, which I think is perfectly sufficient for this sort of army. Um, and I'd assume you'd probably be able to get um, like three or four more models and uh, some Berserkers in there as well. So that's personally um, what I would do. Um, what are you guys' thoughts? So I tend to agree with pretty much everything you said. I just, in general, find that at something like 600, 650, 700, um, I would aim to fill up the warbands first before investing in the fourth hero, like Sharku. So yeah, the numbers aren't great considering that none of the heroes are actually amazing. And Lourdes um, can still take, uh, what, two more warriors. Vraska can take six more. Garulf can take four more. So there's there's definitely plenty more that, uh, uh, that can come in. And yeah, Sharku just doesn't seem to be very good by himself. I mean, a mounted hero is great, but mounted hero with fight four is not. So... Yeah, I personally would also get rid of him. Um, keep the two work riders, maybe maybe other third one. And yeah, invest into some berserkers. And like if you're really, really worried about terror, then think about a shaman, but I don't really think where the shaman can go. Um... Yeah, I mean you could replace Sharku, but I feel like if you just drop the shaman and take berserkers, your problem is pretty much solved, anyways. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm. yeah. So the other weak link I see in this. All right. So I think the issue that you have here is there are three heroes with heroic march: Lurch, Varasku, and Sharku. But only two heroes with strike, and that's Lurk and Lurtz and Gorolf. And you know, as we've pointed out, the the weakness here is um, a combination of numbers and kind of hard hitting heroes, because um, your strikers are both fight fight five guys to begin with, um, and and neither of them are mounted. Um, and I don't think in this list you need both Vrasku and Sharku. I actually don't. I mean, for what Sharku does and how much he costs, I don't think Sharku's a bad add. If, you know, because at 50 points, 60 if you put him on a warg, um, 65 if you give him a, a, a warg and a shield, having, you know, a, a three might mounted captain is for, for that about a points is actually pretty good. Um, but you know, the, the problem is, could the 65 points be better used in this list? And the answer is probably yes. Um, you know, what I'm wondering is whether you get rid of both Verascu and Sharku and turn it into Thryden Wolfsbane and then a bunch of additional warriors, mm -hmm. um, that gives you a third fight five striker, this one mounted. Um, I mean, what that does is it allows you to, um, I mean, it, it does mean that Lurtz is going to be the only march in the list, but I think if you have two other fight five strikers, you can afford to use Lurtz's might to march, um, if you need to, um, you know, especially if, you know, you've got Lurtz's special rule involved where, you know, he, you know, he's not going to have to spend any might in Maelstrom of Battle scenarios to come on. Mm -hmm. um, so that's that's another thought you might want to do too. And I think, so I think Shark, you know, if you're worried, if one of the things you want to get is an ability to win Reconnoiter with your two Crabane and, a, you know, a few Warg Riders, and you want to have a mounted guy with a march to pull that off. Um, I think Sharku actually has march. Yeah, he does. Well, that's why I'm saying he you does? keep. Yeah, you keep Sharku, um, and you can get rid of Verasco instead. Well, the thing is, yes, that is true. However, he pointed out it's a it's a veto system, 
So if I saw this list and I thought, okay, well, he's going to run off, I would probably just veto the recon. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you might. Because um, it's, almost, it's almost like it's going too extreme in one way. Yeah. I mean, maybe so. But I mean, it, this is also a way that this list can effectively cope with objective scenarios is sure. to be able to march and, and have ability. Um, so, I mean, all, all I'm saying is, I agree with everybody that that something has to go here to get you some more figures. Um, and I think you could make Sharku go away and um, get some more figures and then keep Vrasku for his shooting. Um, you could make Vrasku go away, um, keep Sharku, get more figures. And then, you know, Sharku then ends up being, you know, mobility guy and maybe give him another warg rider with a shield to run around with. Or you could get rid of Rasku and Sharku, uh, turn them into Thryden White Wolfsbane, and then beef up everybody's um, warbands, and have Thryden running around with a couple of warg riders with shield, uh, or some downloading horsemen. Horsemen, if you want. I mean, Thryden's um, really stay. strong. Yeah. 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 Um, I think you go either of those ways. I mean. Just and this is just preference. I, I'm not a big fan of Verascu because I don't think his. So I've talked about this before, but it's been a while, so I'll just repeat it. If those of you who have heard it before, feel free to tune out. But there's something I call the Verascu trap, which is everybody says, "Well, he shoots twice with his crossbow, and he's got a bunch of might, so I'm going to keep him back, and I'm going to shoot with him." Um, but then he's not he's not doing anything else with his three points of might to help your army. He's not close enough to the front line to call heroic moves. And he's not, you know, kind of moving with your mobile stuff in order to call heroic marches. So you end up, you end up with him not contributing much to the game, except for a couple of shots. Um, and, uh, you know, that's, I don't think that's really the way to, to go with him. So if I was going to get rid of a guy, get rid of Rasku, I can understand the argument for getting rid of Sharku instead. Um, but I consider getting rid of one or the other, if not both. So I, I generally think um, with Frasco, yeah, uh, what you described is, is right. However, that, that's that's kind of a mistake that people just tend to make. I would I would rather, rather treat him as <clears throat> just another Urukai captain with three might who can also shoot rather than shooter who can also fight. So I would probably tend to play him more offensively and then, and then whenever, whenever possible, get a shot or two off. But yeah, it's just like it's just just one of those things it, where, yeah. If and, you're gonna do that, that though, do that. yeah. If you're gonna do that though, take Ugluk because Ugluk gets strike. Uh yes, but you may want to shoot sometimes. I mean, you may you may want to shoot sometimes, but I mean, the the odds are if you're if you're putting Vrasku up near the front lines to keep stuff moving, call heroic moves, you're not going to get chances to shoot. He's going to have to no, that's true. Wade into the fight, get a that, look. That's true. I mean, I, I I don't really hate either choice. I think I think both are fine. But yeah, it just sort of depends on on how you want to play him because um, I guess he gives you more versatility in a sense. Yeah. Just make sure you don't trap yourself into into the situation where. He's just sitting back and not doing anything. Right. So, all right. Cool. Well, good luck. Any other, th any other thoughts? Good luck. Let us know how it went. All right. So we're going to move into our main topic of the day, which is to do with um, preparing yourselves for tournaments uh, where you know there isn't very much time in the rounds and you obviously don't want to run out of time as, as well as like generally time management. So Matt, why don't you start us off with some thoughts? Because um, I believe you prepared some army lists and um, generally want to talk about the Dragon Emperor's Legion? Well, I, I didn't prepare an army list, but I did. So just to give you a sense of where this comes from, I've been having a conversation with Federcon. And uh, by the way, if I've mispronounced that, please accept my apologies and let me know how I should be pronouncing it. But we've been having a Facebook message conversation and, you know, about using the Easterlings Legendary Legion. And he took it to the French Open last weekend, which was a 666 point tournament, um, because as we all know, the French Open is uh, filled with Evil. Worshippers. Evil. Yeah. Uh, one army. 
seven games, but each game was 90 minutes. Seven games. Wow. Yeah. Um, so seven 90 minute games over the course of two days. Uh, and you know, what he said he found was he had trouble playing the Easterlings legendary legion, uh, and, and getting getting to a win within 90 minutes. And he kept on feeling that if he played for another two or three turns, he could win. Um, but there were at least two games where he he basically lost because of timing. Um, so I thought this was this is a decent topic of conversation um, because there are there are tournaments in which the rounds are quick. Uh, they tend to be tournaments on the smaller end. Um but 90 minutes is a small amount of time, even if you have an army list in the 600 point regions. And there are, there are a bunch of different ways to talking about this. Um, and I'll, I'll, I'll kind of discuss this. I'm going to discuss this at least for part of this from the perspective of talking about the Easterlings legendary legion, but I thought we could just kind of go back and forth and bat different strategies, both in army building and play style that can be used to try and, you know, kind of get the most out of that, um, the out of those short uh, time blocks. Um, so, Evan, why don't we? I, I've talked for a while. Why don't you? Uh, why don't you take the ball and uh, start this off? All right. So I'll start with um, with before the tournament. So let's talk about a bit about uh, army building and how, if you were going to a tournament like this, how you may want to lean your armies towards. So. The first thing you can try to do in these very short games is to start off with a winning advantage. And one big way to do that is to take a horde army, because when you take an army with like, you know, 50, 60 models, it's going to be one incredibly hard for you to break in the time limit that's given. So you're often not going to lose a lot of points. And it means that you'll have a lot of models, which allows you to capture a lot of objectives and put a lot of models on the objectives. And because you have such a low time limit, your opponent will struggle to dislodge them in that amount of time. Um, we actually saw that many, many years ago at the first Articon, I believe, which was 600 points and the games were also 90 minutes. So people would take hordes, throw them on objectives and win in that way. Um, so that's a super good way to do that. Um, another way, um, to make your games go faster is to take an army with a lot of maneuverability and, or a lot of hitting power. I'm talking something like Rohan, Rivendell Knights, maybe even something like a, a hero heavy or an all hero list, something like that, which their games will finish very quickly anyways, and they can get stuck in and do a lot of damage in a very rapid amount of time. Um, so for example, in Rohan, if you were playing something like Reconnoiter or um, what's the one, not Command the Battlefield, but the one with the three objectives in the center and you deploy on the corners. Um, oh. Divide and Conquer, I think. Divide and Conquer. Divide, divide and, conquer. Yeah. Okay. and, and other, other scenarios like that where you can get to the objectives much faster than your opponent can. And then you can get stuck in um, and just basically take the fight to your opponents and hit them hard, hit them fast. So having an army like that or an army that um, isn't going to break in the time limit uh, will really help you get wins in those sorts of scenarios. And yes. Just to kind of expound on that, a different variant of the second type of army of the, you know, kind of the quick moving, hard hitting armies is the armies with flyers and magic. So, you know, one of the classic armies of this type is, uh, you know, like Angmar with um, Gulivar and the Witch King um, and armies that can come in and kind of like win a game with like just two models very quickly in two or three turns tend to excel in these types of scenarios. So, you know, if you can suck out the enemy's general, have Gulivar swoop in and kill him, and all of a, all of a sudden you're ahead by three victory points, and then, you know, the game is yours to lose at that point, and you can, you can then play very conservatively for the rest of the 90 minutes uh, in order to make sure that 
you know, you never lose that three point edge and you win the tournament. Mm -hmm. Also knowing, knowing which of your models matter for victory points and which don't is very important because I had a game one time uh, where we played uh, to the death and my opponent was playing pretty slowly. So I burnt a ton of resources and then threw my Golovar in over the lines and heroic combated into a banner bearer just to kill that banner bearer, which then Golovar died afterwards. But it didn't matter because I was up 2-0 because I had a banner and they didn't and they weren't able to capitalize on it because of the time. So I was able to win that way. So knowing, knowing when, sure, my 200-point model it's so shiny. I don't want to lose it. But if I lose it and I win, I win. Doesn't matter if I lose it or not. Mm -hmm. That's where, uh, especially when you don't have very much time, having a banner in your army is quite quite important. Um, with if if you're playing like a two two and a half hour game, you can sometimes get away with not having it. But if you don't have very much time and you run into one of those scenarios, it's like they could just tank for an hour. And there's nothing you can do. Right. Um, That's and, happened. That's happened before. Yeah. Some and, of us. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I have no idea what you're talking about, Mick. Yeah. Um, also, that was a two-hour game, I must remind you. Yes. And even then, I didn't manage to uh, yeah. to, to, to kill the banner or, or break you. <laughs> yeah. And that's, I mean, I'll, I'll talk about some, you know, Legion-specific examples in a second. But just to preface that, I mean, when... <laughs> One of the things you get when you take the Dragon Emperor Legendary Legion is you get like a very, very, a banner that is very, very hard to kill. And if you're playing to the death against somebody in a 90 minute round and he does not have a banner, um, you just kind of surround the Dragon Emperor with your entire army and say, come get me, bro. <laughs> and it's, you know, it's, you're, you're probably going to have that one uh, wrapped up. Um, but, you know, one thing, one thing to discuss because we, we've talked about two strategies for army building here, right? We've talked about building a horde and we've talked about kind of building, um, you know, a fast moving, hard hitting army. Uh, and it's important to kind of beware the two time wasting traps that can come with those types of armies. And it may be worth thinking through your own play style to determine which, if any, either of those two strategies you want to do. I mean, if you're the type of guy who moves precisely and slowly and wants to think about each figure you're going to move and where exactly it needs to be, you do not want to take the horde option um, because players, and I've seen this happen time and again, players who have that play style and then take a horde army, get into these, these quick rounds and, and end up coming out of the tournament with five draws. Well, um, unless, unless yeah. uh, you you're the sort of player who uh, who has a lot of experience with that army, so for the first, let's say, four or five turns, you're moving very quickly, and then you become very precise. Yeah, uh, you know, or, or or you just don't care, right? And yeah. that's one of the you know that's one of the strengths of the horde army is individual mistakes don't matter all that much. Mm -hmm. So you can continue to play, you can continue to move quickly up through. You know, up through the entire game because you've got a bunch of goblins and you pretty much know what your tactics are going to be run goblins into people uh hope that you roll the six and he doesn't and then kill them um uh, and you know it doesn't require a lot of strategic thought in order to implement that strategy right so but there are some people you know there are some people for whom they you know they're constitutionally incapable of kind of playing that type of game and that's not the strategy for you you know likewise there, there's a problem on the other side if you're going into one of these you know kind of small number of figures high mobility high impact armies that it's real easy those are the games where it's real easy to lose games on one small mistake mm -hmm. and if if you're the type of player you know if you don't have a lot of experience running that type of army don't do trying it. to trying to take that to a tournament that has short rounds is not going to be effective for you because you're going to go in, you're going to get yourself into a position where there's like, there's like one way out of it with all your figures. And you're going to be sitting there like, you know, with the smoke coming out of your brain and your opponent going, uh, you know, this is a timed round, right. As you're trying to figure out where to put the, 
the pieces and that may not work it for you. However, if this, like, like Mick, like you said, if this is something that you've played a lot and you know how these pieces work and you know how they all work together do it. and you can do this quickly, it, that's the strategy for you. Yeah. I mean, generally if you're, if you're, if you're not very experienced playing, playing small armies, it's probably not that good of an idea because the less models you have, the more mistakes are going to cost you. Cause like, if you if you have a hundred models and you made ten mistakes and you lost ten, it's fine. But if you have thirty models, then that's one third of your army. Yep. I think an important um, aspect to take away from what Dad said is that when you're playing these types of armies, you need to know which decisions you need to think more about and you really need to think about, and which decisions you can just say oh, I'm fine with doing either one. I'll just pick this one and go on with it. Like, for example, if your opponent's sending um, a force down one side of the board and a force down the other, does it really matter uh, whether random McGee goes that way or that way to try and stop them? Um, it doesn't. So don't think too hard about that and just move the model. But if it's a more important model, like, a Gulivar or something like that, and it's a very important turn where you could um, make a lot of progress, then it is very important. So being able to recognize when, oh, it doesn't really matter um, whether I put my hero here or here, and differentiating that from, oh, if I go here, I lose. If I go here, I win, is a very important skill to pick up. Um, and unfortunately, uh, that's something that often just comes down to practice and uh, being able to recognize these patterns within the game. But just think whenever you're, whenever you're working to make a decision with a particular model, is this decision important or is getting through this in a reasonable amount of time more important to me? And yeah, and look, some people are better at this than others, right? Um, you know, in my younger days, I could make decisions quicker in my, in my, as I approach my dotage, I'm, uh, I'm making decisions slower and, <laughs> and, you know, I, I have to, I have to adopt strategies that will, you know, not help me make decisions quicker, but to the best extent I can kind of avoid decisions. Right. Uh, it, so, so here's the essence of the problem. Cause this is, this is a topic that's come up on a lot of podcasts and a lot the answers you get from competitive players on a lot of podcasts are, we'll just move quicker. Right. Which, <laughs> which makes me think, uh, so Evan will recognize this. Our, our karate instructor likes to tell a story of Bruce Lee when one once asked by somebody, uh, how do I move as fast as you do, Bruce? And he gave the answer, move faster, which is great advice. If you're Bruce Lee, but, you know, if you're not Bruce Lee and you're not capable of moving faster, it's not particularly good advice. So yeah, the advice I'm going to give in a second is advice that's more advice that's more tempered for us folks who are not going to be moving at Bruce Lee speeds and can't just make uh, all the right decisions uh, instantly um, without any thought process involved. Um, because the way we've the way we've discussed this, as you'll see, and one of the things that's, I mean, what slows you down in games is making decisions. So there's no, don't, two ways. Don't make any. Well, so that's the second strategy, right? I mean, the first strategy is make decisions quicker, as we've just discussed, and be able to decide, you know, which decisions matter and which decisions don't, uh, and don't spend time on the decisions that don't matter. The other thing is to not make any. And so this is, you know, so this is the strategy that you have to adopt if you're going to take something like the Easterlings Legendary Legion, right? So Eastern, Easterlings Legendary Legion is an army that falls into neither of the two paradigms that we've discussed. It doesn't have enough figures in it to be a horde, uh, and it doesn't have kind of enough mobility amongst its heroes to be a swing in and you know destroy the critical captain uh, and then, or I'm sorry, the, the critical leader and then, you know, swing out having gotten those, those points. It doesn't have any way. Well, it usually doesn't have a way to do either of those two. Um, 
if you have an army like this, um, you need to think about strategies uh, to basically eliminate decision points. And I'll, I'll just go through a couple of strategies with the Easterlings Legendary Legion. I mean, one is kind of a no brainer and that's taking the drum. And the drum allows you to move quicker. It means your whole army moves between three inches and five inches quicker. And this means everybody in the game has less opportunity to slow things down with more decisions because there are fewer turns between the time that you start the game and the time that you're engaged and the stuff you have is going to kill stuff. Um, so you know, that's a no-brainer and most people probably will have put that together. Take the drum. If you're not taking the Easterlings, you can take you know either an orc drummer or something like that or guys with marches and just know off the top of the bat, you know, beginning of the game, I'm just going to be calling marches, right? doesn't really matter what's going on for the first two turns of the game until we engage. I mean, unless we're playing a scenario where we're starting in each other's phases that it doesn't matter, I'm going to be calling marches and just know that's your strategy. Um, the other thing that helps with armies like this are formations. Um, and by formations, I don't necessarily mean, you know, this is the tip, you know, this is the type of formation you can use to fight this army come up with a way to do your deployment that it 80% of the time is going to be the right answer for your army. Uh, and the, the Easterlings legendary legion is one that's very amenable to this because I, when I play it in about 90% of my games, I deploy the exact same way. I have my phalanx deployed in the center. I have it three ranks deep. I have a slot in the middle where Rutabi is sitting a little further back from the center so she can't get sucked out on her own and killed uh, with Borgir sitting right behind her. And then I have the Dragon Emperor sitting behind and then a gaggle of, you know, my my archers and cataphracts kind of sitting behind uh, all of that um, behind the phalanx. And I set this up every time. I don't have to think about it because remember the, the decisions you're taking before the game start count towards the time right so if you're sitting there and you spend 15 minutes trying to deploy your army that's 15 minutes less playtime you've got and that's probably a turn that you've just wasted right there so if you can come up with a formation and a way to deploy your army without thinking you just do it you're giving yourself an extra turn um and the other thing formations do is formations allow you just to move right off the bat right um and you know, once I've set this up, I know what it's going to do is it's going to go forward to a specific point and it's going to come in contact with the enemy and it's going to try and kill it. And I don't have to think particularly hard about that. Um, and that saves me time. Um, so the, you know, that's the, the second strategy is formation. And then the last strategy, and I'll, and I'll throw this back to the floor that I want to talk about is, um, well, this isn't really a strategy, but this is advice on how to implement strategies. Don't change them, right? Come up with a plan and stick with that plan because every time you kind of change your plan, uh, you're you're putting delay in because you're having to shift figures around to where they were. You know, you're having to shift your point of attack from the left to the right. So that means you got to move guys over. That's going to cost you a turn or two. Uh, and maybe you're better off, even though attacking on the left in retrospect, wasn't the best idea. Maybe you're better off just sticking with that idea and sticking with that plan because that's a chance to work in time. Anyway, I've been talking for a while. Somebody else talk. I mean, <clears throat> I tend to agree with pretty much everything you said. Um, the thing with the, um, the strategy implementation, like you should, first of all, know how you want to play the game before you even deploy. So understand the scenarios, figure out exactly what, what it is in each scenario that you need to do, and then figure out how you're going to win the scenario before before the game begins against a given opponent. So, I mean, it may sound obvious, but a lot of the time I see people just deploying, and then sometimes their deployment doesn't really make that much sense in the greater scheme of things. And if you already if you are deployed and you already have your strategy, you already have all, all of your ideas on, on what's going to happen. First of all, you can move much faster. And um, I, I sometimes find if if my opponent's moving really fast, it's like, okay, these guys know what they're doing. So they're probably someone who I almost have to like respect more as a player, as in 
I don't necessarily have like I like all of my mistakes are going to be more more costly against against this player, and so it's it's a bit like one of those sort of confidence situations where if someone's like really really confidently move, moving with their army, then even if it's bad moves, it almost like puts a bit of a fear in you that actually. Yeah, they may be bad moves, but actually there is something that I just don't know about and I'm not expecting something. So I'm rather afraid. And maybe may, maybe they have a, a plan which which I didn't even think of. Yeah. I mean, we used to have a saying in the army that um, a uh, an adequate plan executed promptly is better than the perfect plan executed too late. Or not executed and, at all. Yeah, or not executed at all. And um, yeah, so that that is something you need to worry about is one of the things, and people don't realize it, but one of the things that like costs them the most time in these tournaments is kind of analysis paralysis. And, you know, it, 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 if this these are the advantages in these types of tournaments to armies that do one thing well. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's an exception that we'll talk about in a second if somebody doesn't bring it up, but the advantage to bringing an army that does one thing well to these tournaments is you know what you were going to do in each game. And it may succeed, it may fail, but you're not going to spend time trying to figure out what your best strategy is, right? If you're bringing dwarves back by elves, you know you're going to slam your shield wall into the opponent's shield wall and hope you break it. And you don't have to you don't have to sit around kind of wringing your hands about how you're going to approach this particular opponent. Yep. Yeah, there was... Um... There was a guy I met at Articon uh, named Joaquim, uh, who actually made it to the Masters. Uh, and basically what he did was uh, he basically wrote a whole bunch of like paragraphs with plans versus the different armies that existed. And he would say, OK, if I go up against this army, I'll do this. If I go up against this army, I'll do this. And he did very well using that. Am I saying that you should go through all of that work in time to prep? No, I don't do it. I've never done it. Um, I'm sure most other people also don't do that. But it does really speak to the value that your time before the game has and the effect it has during the actual game. Because remember, just because the game starts once time starts, doesn't mean that you can't be planning and thinking about what you're going to do and how you're going to win at the specific scenario before the game starts. So once you get to the table, you know, you introduce yourself to the opponent, you, you show them your list, they see, uh, you see their list. Um, you know, instead of pulling out your phone and uh, looking at Facebook or something like that, really uh, have a think about, you know, what is in their list? What is the scenario? How am I best going to win this? Um, do I need to play for a draw? Do I um, do I need to accomplish this specific thing with this specific hero in order to win? Um, and just using all of the time that is given to you, because in these 90-minute rounds, you don't have a lot of time in the actual game to plan. Yeah, and yeah, with 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 most armies, and certainly most armies that fall into the category that we're talking about here, which tend to have, you know, one or one or two strengths, you don't need to spend tremendous amounts of time and effort coming up with PowerPoints and very complicated decision trees as to how you're going to deploy. Um, there's going to be kind of a couple of decision points. Like, for example, when I'm playing the Easterlings Legendary Legion, you know, one of the big problems with that Legion is if the Dragon Emperor goes down or if his, you know, his... Uh, Palaquin goes down, the army tends to kind of fall apart at that point. So you come up with, you you want to make sure that 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 can't happen or at least can't happen quickly. So what you do is you you know you you have one you have one point on your decision making tree. You know is there a combination of of units in the enemy army that can take down the dragon emperor? So for example, like bat and spider queen, or you know bat and heavy hitter, or um, uh, you know, some sort of, uh, uh, you know, magic that can transfix him if he doesn't roll well enough or, or pull him out, get him surrounded and get him killed. If there is something there like that, then my decision tree, you know, my decision tree is look to see a flash kill of emperor as possibility. If yes, 
emperor deploys behind phalanx. If no, emperor deploys in middle of phalanx where emperor can fight. And then I've got another strategy that I use to basically on the approach march to have the phalanx separate at the right point or the right time and at the right point so that the emperor can get himself into combat so he's not you know locked out and not killing people but he can get himself into combat in a position where he's not going to be flash killed and you know i have i have that's my simple decision tree that's really the decision that i am making at deployment and i can come up with the answer as soon as i see what the other guy's army is um, I suppose in that case, you're, what you're really asking yourself is, how do I lose? And you're, you're prioritizing that. And, uh, and then later on, you figure out, how do I actually win? <clears throat> because yeah. um, in a, like, I guess in a sense, as long as you don't lose, then the only two options are draw or a win. So it's almost like you're, you're prioritizing, just making sure that your opponent just won't, won't just outright win in, 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 like if you make a silly mistake or something like that. Yeah. I, I mean, it, it, it's a little more, yeah, the, the question of how do I lose is, is a little more complicated than that um, <laughs> because there, there are other ways I can lose besides having the dragon emperor killed, but, sure. you know, if I'm playing an objective game and um, uh, you know, I'm not around enough objectives, I'm still going to lose. If I'm playing reconnoiter and somebody manages to sneak a few things out and manages to tie up the rest of my fast moving stuff, I can still lose. But one way I know I will lose is if the Dragon Emperor goes down yeah. quickly. And so, so I guess the question is, figure out how you're definitely going to lose. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then figure out ways that that doesn't happen and uh, hope for the best afterwards. <laughs> right. I mean, what I'm saying is a different way of saying what Evan said earlier, which is figure out which decisions matter mm -hmm. and then spend the time on them. And what I'm saying is, there are going to be some decisions that are going to matter uh, uh, early on in most of the games you fight and figure out ways to automate them so that you don't have to spend time before the game figuring out what the right answer to the question is. Mm -hmm. And you know that that's a decision that's going to matter at deployment. I know it's a decision that's going to matter at deployment. And I've come up with a way to basically automate the answer to that question so that I don't have to spend time on it in the tournament itself. Yeah, I had a situation like that. So I played against Assault on the Florian a couple of times in a tournament recently. And one of the easy ways to lose against it is if they manage to hop over your lines when when you don't expect it with like your a, a spider and a buttswoman woman just take out your, your leader. So I was playing with the Witch King and I basically went, okay, as long as my Witch King is like at least, I don't know, 10 inches behind my lines, then I don't really have to worry about anything. So even though sometimes I felt like I could, I could do with him being closer, I just took the approach of never come closer unless I know for 100% he's, he's going to be safe. And, and that just saved a lot of time on, um, on actually like figuring out and measuring where he should be. It was just a default approach of, as long as he's at least like 10 inches back, I can always run forward, cast a spell, run back. Yep. But, and that's, that's decision automation right there. Yeah. And so like, I don't really care how far away the bot swarms are or how far away the, the, the Druzak might be or whatever else. It's essentially this by default is, is going to ensure that I, I, just, I, I don't just lose. Yep. By the way, the military term for what we're talking about is a standard operating procedure. And the reason militaries have standard operating procedures is so that uh, armies can avoid making stupid mistakes uh, without having spending having to spend a lot of time thinking about how to make each decision. And they don't always produce the best decision in the circumstances. There are going to be there are going to be edge cases where not following the standard operating procedure is the best way to go. But, you know, it's it's like the 80-20 solution. You know, this, following the standard operating procedure is going to be the best result 80% of the time. And doing something better, the other 20% is not going to justify the time you're going to waste figuring out what the exact answer to the question is. Yeah, unless, unless you have the time in the game. But if you are playing... Yeah, 
So, so short look, rounds. So right. Look, if, if you're if you're the uh, East Philly's legendary legion and you're playing a short round and you're playing to the death and you look across the table and your opponent does not have a banner, take as much time as you want figuring out the exact right deployment. Yeah. I actually <laughs> not I a want problem. to segue a little bit um into uh stuff that I've talked about a little bit before and what dad was just mentioning now, which is we've talked a whole lot about playing faster and being able to make those decisions faster, but the best way to uh, win in these low time situations is to not have to play faster. And that would be getting yourself into an early winning position. So being able to just off rip, either get your opponent's banner or get on the objectives first, or uh, hunt down some sort of important model of your opponents uh, that gives you victory points. Even the smallest of uh, victory point leads will give you so much more breathing room um, with time. And it basically forces your opponent into that uncomfortable position you were in. So an example of this is, let's say you were taking an elf list and it's domination and you're up against something like, um, let's say orcs. So you may be tempted to try and thin out their numbers, maybe use your shooting. So you deploy maybe 12 inches back and you get some shooting done. Um, the issue with that, especially in a low time game is then you are on the back foot. And now you have to be able to time everything perfectly to be able to get all your models on the objectives and take them from the orcs. When instead you could have just said, all right, I've got this useful tool in shooting, but this game, what I really need to do is get myself into a winning position as quickly as possible and go for the objectives. So instead, almost counterintuitively, you put your army right up front contesting the objectives and you fight over the objectives and uh, use strategy to be able to, to try and take those objectives. And uh, once you do, you're in the winning position and it's all down, your, down to your opponent to try and wrest you off of those, which makes things massively more difficult for them and much, much easier for you. Yeah, I guess the other, the other thought about that situation is if you have a very shooty army, your opponent will expect you to uh, do everything possible to shoot as much as possible. But then sometimes you can actually surprise them by just deploying up front and going, okay, I'm just going to fight. And sometimes they, they, they might not expect it. So it helps. Let, let's put a pin in that for a second, because I want to go back to the shooty army thing and talk about that for a second. But um you know, I think I think to kind of refine what Evan's saying is because he's exactly right in these in these short in short time scenarios. What you want to do is you want to you want to get up in the victory points early, and then you can kind of rest on your laurels, and then you can take as much time as you want to think out, um, you know, think out how to respond to stuff. By the way, this doesn't mean deliberately slow play because, as we now know in the new set of rules, this is a, a violation of the code of conduct. Um, but it does mean you you no longer have to, when, you know, when you have that point advantage, it means you no longer have to be in the position of this may or may not be the best move, but I got to make it because I got to make a move quick. Um, you can sit there and you can you can figure out if it's the best move to make or not and then make it. Um, but all right. So correct me if I'm wrong, guys, but I think there are three ways to do this reasonably in most situations. Um, the, the, the one that Evan talked about is the most obvious one and, and the most frequently used one, which is to, if you're playing an objective game, get to the objective first um, and get there with enough force that you're going to hold it, which um, there's a, there's a quote from a S American civil war cavalry general who is not a role model for a variety of other reasons, but did come up with the phrase uh, the winner is the guy that gets to their firstest with the mostest. Um, and when you're playing a, an objective game, that's what you got to do. Um, and the second way is to flash kill something that gives you points, right? And you know, typically that is the other guy's leader. There are some oddball scenarios where it may not be the other guy's leader. And there are some scenarios where that's going to, as Evan pointed out, that's going to be the banner bearer. Um, and that may be your strategy in some scenarios is 
um, uh, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to figure out a way to flash kill the other guy's leader. Um, what typically isn't a way to kind of win these scenarios is by breaking somebody quickly. Cause it's, it's really kind of a rare scenario and army matchup that you're going to run into where the solution to getting victory points on the board quickly is to break the other guy before he can break you. And those are my kind of thoughts on it. I don't know if anybody feels differently. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think I've often found that breaking someone quickly actually counterintuitively will sometimes make you less likely to win the game. For example, in an objective game, I've won plenty of games and lost a few as well, where um, either I've been broken quickly and I'm on the objective, so I win, or I completely ignoring the objectives decide, all right, I'm going to go break the opponent quickly first and then go to the objectives later, and I don't make it to the objectives, and then I lose. So I think sort of focusing on the the bigger picture is very important in every game, but I think especially in these these games with such hard time constraints, um, knowing what is important and what is not, where sure, breaking your opponent might get you some victory points and it might physically remove their models from the board, but if time is called and you're not on the objectives, you lose, no matter if your opponent has 50 or five models left on the board. Yeah, no, I fully agree. So, yeah. sorry. And it, uh, so I, I guess I want to take us back to that pin I put in the idea of shooting armies earlier. And, you know, we, we talked about what types of armies you may want to bring to a tournament that has short rounds. I'm going to throw out there that the type of army that you do not want to bring to a tournament that has short rounds is an army that depends on shooting and that the more it depends on it shooting, the less you want to bring it. And, you know, the, the reason being that shooting armies, shooting armies gain a larger start at a disadvantage to somebody else because they've put all their, you know, they put some percentage of their points into things that shoot. And then uh, you know, kind of gain that advantage the longer and longer the game goes on. Um, and that's not what you want to have when you're going to have a small number of turns. Because, you know, as, as Evan pointed out, if you've got a shooty army and you're playing like, say, um, I think it's Command the Battlefield. Is that the one where you got the three objectives in the middle? You know, basically you've got the diamond of the objectives and the one in the middle. Um it, it is command yeah yeah and then you and then you you start head to head right you know if, if you've got rangers of athelion um you know or one of those shooting armies you know what you want to do is like stand 12 inches back and you know shoot at the other guy for a while to soften him up before you go in and fight and against some armies that's just not going to work because he will have gotten um four of the five objectives and you'll shoot them up and you may even break them, but you're still going to lose because he's gotten four or five of the objectives when the game's over. That's a problem. Yeah, but that's also, that's also a problem that, that's, not, that's not only present in, <clears throat> in games where you don't have very much time. It's, it's, a, it's a problem in general for certain scenarios. Like if you have a shooty army and you decide to stand back, opponent walks onto three or four objectives. And even if you break them, so watch, they, they, they still win when the game ends. Yeah, but the more time you have in the game, the more time you have to break them and then mm -hmm. come forward and retake the objective. Yes, I mean, yeah, you can you can always do a situation where you've you've shot like as many models as you could down to like them breaking in three, and then you rush in, you start shielding, you start you start overrunning them, and you only break at the right moment. So, yeah, there is that. But ge generally, there are certain scenarios where you probably should abandon shooting anyway. Yeah. Now, look, I, I mean, are there exceptions to this rule? Probably. I mean, if you've got assault on Helm's Deep and, you know, the way, you know, you've got a shooty army, obviously, but one of the ways you win is by shooting your opponent's leader to death, um, then you shoot. know, even when he's in combat. Um, yeah, that's a, I mean, that's a viable alternative strategy for assault on Helm's Deep in, 
you know, one of these scenarios is, um, you know, yeah, we're going to get into a fight quickly and you're going to have an advantage in the fight, but I've got these two ballistas that are sitting back here that are both going to be targeting your, your leader every turn. And if I get them, that's three points. Yep. Um, so, so I think, I think some advice I can also provide just on, on the basis, if you want to take shooting to these events, I would say, simplify what you're targeting. And what I mean by that is take the least amount of in the ways possible. And sometimes you just got to say, all right, instead of the fact that, you know, this one guy from this angle can see this important target and this guy can see this important target. Sometimes you just got to say, all right, every single one of my 15 archers is just all going to shoot at your front rank of guys. I'm going to roll them all together and then I'm going to roll them to wound. I'm going to take some guys off the board and then we're going to move on to the next turn. Um, and it also means don't argue with your opponent that much about in the ways because in the ways are very finicky. Uh, everyone's looking at something from a, from a different angle. So they see th things differently. So instead of saying, Oh no, he is two in the ways or, Oh no, he is three. Just say, all right, sure, three, and then move on and keep moving through your shooting. Because if you're going to try and do damage with shooting in these sorts of games, you're going to want to get as many turns of shooting as possible as quickly as possible. So minimizing the time it takes to go through your shooting phase is very important. Yeah. Actually, 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 to add to that, um, that's probably a tip for pretty much all games in all circumstances that... <clears throat> Generally, I, for example, tend nev almost never to argue with my opponents over things that don't really matter, like like the random shooting situation or like, can someone see someone, whatever. It's like, unless unless it's something really important, at which point I will have set it up to be able to see and to be able to shoot. If it's just random shots here and there, it's really irrelevant. So, you, so, so you're better off just, just not wasting time. Yeah. I mean, the other thought, if you want to take a shooting army is take a shooting army that has different ways to win. Um, and, you know, one example I give of this is the assault on Lothlorien legendary legion, which is a shooting army, right? I mean, it's got the plus one to wound for shooting for most of its guys in most situations. And it can get, you can get a whole bunch of goblin archers and get a whole bunch of prowlers. You can do a lot of shooting, but what it also has is another way to win and another way to get points other than shooting. And that's with its bats and its bats, or I'm sorry, it's bat swarms and it's spiders, some of whom can be invisible. Um, and yes, exactly. And uh, so that's a circumstance where if I'm, if I'm taking that legendary legion to um, a tournament that has short rounds I am going to be making sure I've got my full complement of bats and spiders with me. And, uh, you know, maybe I'm going to have less prowlers and less goblin archers um, because they're going to have less, less of an effect on the game. Yeah, I think these are, these are all good tips. Yeah, but generally also always, always be aware of the clock, always be aware of how much time you're taking to deploy. Um, and yeah, I think the most important thing is just know how your army operates and prepare yourself. Yeah, it's, I mean, the key the key takeaway here is what, what takes up the time during games is thinking. So the less so thinking- So think. Well, at least don't think during the game, right? Yeah. And we've discussed a number of different ways to do that. Um, one is to understand which decisions are worth thinking about and which are not, and only think about the ones that are worth thinking about. The other is to make decisions when you're building your army that will uh, avoid having to think during the game. Um, and then the third is to think think through the important decisions you know are going to come up before the game so that you don't have to come up with the answer on the fly during the game. And I think those are, those are all strategies to kind of decrease the amount of time you're going to take uh, thinking. Yeah. It's almost I like, think... it's almost like automation. Like it's exactly you're... like automation. <laughs> yeah. I guess if you're, if you've played enough games with your army, you just go, okay, well, 
these guys, they're going to do this, and they always do this. These guys are going to do something else. They always do this other thing. So unless a situation presents itself where it might be a good idea to change your strategy, just keep going. Yeah, just one more thing to add on to the um, to the list building aspect of this. In the same way that taking hordes and fast armies will increase the speed of your games, some aspects will decrease the speed of your games. Um, the biggest example of this, I think, is terror. Uh, taking a terror-causing army, um, a heavy terror-causing army, in these short time constraints uh, will drastically slow down how fast your games go because your opponent will be rolling two dice every time, making their courage tests, and everybody's move phases will be just at um, at double the length. Uh, just like those Black Numenorians there that Mick is showing us. Uh, I'm sure all of our audio listeners are appreciating this a lot. Um, and uh, yes, so terror will drastically increase your move phases, which will cause less move phases, which will mean that uh, your game is less likely to finish. So keep that in mind. Yeah, this is also, by the way, a problem you know, a, a problem on the other side. If you have an a horde army that has no answer to terror and you run into somebody who has a terror wall, you're going to, this is, it's going to take a long time to play that game. Because mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of terror tests that will be made and a lot of terror tests that will be failed. Um, so, you know, something to think through is, uh, you know, if I've got a horde army, make sure I've got some way to deal with terror. I mean, I, like the, it could actually work another way in a sense that if you are the one playing with the terror army, if you have ways to, to win and just put yourself in an early advantage, then all the terror is just going to slow, slow your army from, from dying quickly. Yeah. So if it was a banner versus no banner to the, uh, to a death situation, I have terror and my opponent doesn't. It's just, there, there's going to be less turns because, and, 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 and there's going to be less combats in general, which is to my advantage because my army won't die as quickly. Yeah, I mean that's one of the reasons why Angmar is such an effective army yeah. in these in these quick play tournaments is because they can go in, they can kill something quickly, get the points that they need, and then kind of retreat back behind their wall of minus one terror and just last out the rest of the game. Mm -hmm. I mean they're they're it's, generally very good in, in so many ways. Yeah, it's important to know whether you have a proactive terror army or sort of a um, reactive terror army or one that doesn't really have the resources to be able to go aggressive so something like angmar or maybe mordor with the fell beast in there or a spider queen or something um, those sorts of armies that can do those assassination runs that have a lot of pieces that can move very quickly and take objectives um, those are going to be a lot more effective than something like army of the dead which doesn't really have any way to assassinate important characters, doesn't have a lot of models, so it's hard for them to take objectives. And coupling that with the fact that uh, terror will uh, make games uh, last significantly longer, something like Army of the Dead may not be the best choice at a low time constraint tournament. Yeah, I mean, there are other variants of this too. Like, I mean, the ability of your army to move is also important. So, you know, hobbits are a horde army, but they're not a horde army you want to take to a tournament with 90 minute rounds, right? Because they move two thirds the speed of everybody else's army. And you probably want to think a bit before taking dwarves, particularly dwarves of the type that don't come with guys riding goats um, that are just going to be waddling around because there are going to be a bunch of scenarios where in those short rounds, um, they're going to be at a significant disadvantage because they just won't get there. And if you are going to take dwarves to those tournaments and quick tournaments, make sure you have somebody that can march because um, you'll need it. I suppose the other thought could be uh, if you're playing a shorter game, it's almost like there's more emphasis on heroes that are better and do more very, versus having more smaller heroes. So for example, someone like a Boromir is better in a shorter game than multiple captains who normally in a in in a in a longer game situation their might points and 
the resources could be spread across the board and actually allow you to, to overcome your, your opponent. But in a shorter game, you just need to pinpoint cer certain situations, do your things quickly, and someone like Boromir or a Shagrat or any any other bigger hero allows you to just go doo, 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 kill, 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 find your objective, do something, finish the game. Right. Well, I mean, lists that have lots of you know, kind of cheaper heroes tend to be better at the attrition, the long-term attrition game, because while the other guy's one big hero is, you know, trying to slough off magic and kill one or two guys a turn. Meanwhile, your other three mid-tier heroes are killing, you know, six guys a turn. Um, and, you know, that's attritional warfare. Attritional warfare takes time. And attritional warfare is not what we're talking about is the way to try and win in these short games where, you know, what you're actually trying to do is get some amount of victory points as quick as possible. And that's usually by, it's not by breaking your opponent. It's by um, killing something that gets you points immediately. Mm -hmm. All right. Any other thoughts? Uh, yeah. Argentina won the world cup. Messi. Yay. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, as, as I mentioned to Mick before this started, uh, apparently there was a really amazing uh, game uh, between two teams of players that I don't know uh, playing uh, a sport I don't follow uh, representing countries that I have no affiliation with. Um, but I got to take his word for that. So Apparently that was exciting. It was, it was, it was amazing. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> well, that's been, uh, well, hopefully, hopefully um, our listeners have found our discussion useful. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe leave us, leave us some comments to see what, what else you think, if you agree or disagree with things we said. And I suppose we should wish everybody a happy holiday season. Happy New Year as well, in case we don't post anything before New Year's. Which is unlikely, considering we'll be we'll be all enjoying our Christmases and time with family and whatever else we're doing over over this period. So, yeah, enjoy your time, and I suppose we will see you in 2023. All right, happy holidays, everybody. All right, bye bye. Bye.